Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. Good morning. The singing has been wonderful. We appreciate that so much, and it's so wonderful to be here together this morning with each of you. We thank you so much for your presence, for our members who are faithful servants, and we're so thankful for those of you who are visiting. We want you to know you're special and always welcomed here, and we're very thankful uh, to have you with us, those of you in person and online, and we want you to know that uh, we're always here for you in any way we can serve you. Please let us know. Today we finish our series, uh, Finding Your True Identity, as we've looked at different aspects of the identity of a Christian. If we, uh, uh, For a person who is a Christian, a New Testament Christian, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are the characteristics of their identity? And we've looked at something different every week. And this week we're looking at the aspect of you are his ambassador. You are Christ's ambassador from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, wherever we go in life, whatever we do, we're supposed to be a representative of Jesus. We're supposed to bring Jesus to the place that we are, to the relationship that we're in, to the conversation that we're in, the workplace that we're in, the team, the friend group, wherever that is, our job is to represent our Savior. And naturally, we'll think back over our lives and think, Wow, there's been a lot of times when I haven't done that well. And hopefully there's been plenty of times where you feel like you have done that well. But that's why we want to talk about it, because it is so important. A shoe company sent a representative to a foreign country. And as soon as the representative arrived, he emailed his boss and he said, I'm coming home, I'm catching the next flight home. Uh, nobody in this whole country wears shoes. There's no market for shoes. I'm coming home. When he got back to the office, the company decided to send a different representative. They flew him over to this foreign country, and as soon as he landed and saw the people and started looking around, he immediately emailed his boss. And he said, send all the shoes we have now. No one here wears shoes. We can flood the market. It's wide open. Two different perspectives, right? Same situation. And that's how we're supposed to see this world and our lives and the, the, the world and life that we walk into, that we walk in every day. As these are people who don't have shoes, in other words, they might not know Christ, and we're supposed to deliver that. We're supposed to represent Christ. We are His ambassadors, as we'll be looking at. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As Brother Charles said this morning in Bible class, it was coincidence that this was the text for today and also the text in our Bible class, and I think that's great because on the last day of the year, we're spending our time thinking about being ambassadors for Christ. So if you were in class, and then you're here this morning, and then if you're here tonight, you're just going to get immersed in we are representatives of Christ. And isn't that a wonderful message 
on the last day of the year. As we go into the new year, there's a lot to think about it. How can I be a better representative for Jesus in my life? As we reflect on the year behind us, what can I do differently? How can I grow and mature in this area? Let me read verses 1 through 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. This isn't the first time Paul has written about his his personal desire to just go ahead and be with God. He, he's ready to be done with this life on earth. If you know Paul at all, you know he has suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. He, he caused suffering at first before he was a Christian to those who were following Christ. And then when he became a Christian, he, he, he just did a 180 and his life was all about living for the cause of Christ. And he suffered for that faith. But do you ever feel like Paul and you just groan over the difficulties of life? You groan over the tragedies, over the loss, over the challenges, and you feel just burdened down by what you've had to carry. Life can do that to us, can it? Sometimes you see it coming, a lot of times you don't. And sometimes it does seem like it's more than you can bear. And Paul felt that way as well. And he, he said, I just, I'm just ready to go be with Christ. I'm ready to, give, to be done here. But as he would also write, he would say, but, but it's better that I stay here for now so that I can continue to help the churches, continue to help for the cause of Christ. In fact, Paul said in verse 5 that God has prepared us for this very thing. What thing? For heaven, God has prepared the Christian for heaven. How so? Well, He's made us His instruments of righteousness, but He has given us, when we are united with Christ in baptism, when a person becomes a Christian, He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. And He has prepared that person for their heavenly dwelling. And now all it is is a matter of time while we live in these earthly tents, this temporary home, this home away from home, as we're supposed to be His ambassadors, His representatives during this time, as we wait for Him to return and take us to our permanent home, our real home, our heavenly home. And He said, God has prepared us in Christ for heaven. We notice that Paul never, uh, never forgot about what it, where his real home was. He always knew that this life was temporary. Now, it seems like the way he persecuted the church, that he was, this was his home and he was going to make sure no one uh, believed in Christ who taught something different. But we've got to remember, and we need that reminder, because life is so real and tangible and right in front of us. We feel it, we see it, we taste it, we smell it, and, and it's so easy to think that this is home, that this is life. 
And although God blesses us with so many wonderful blessings in this life, for the Christian, this is not our home. Our home is in heaven with our God. Now turn with me to verses 6 through 11. And Paul says that we're always of good courage. He'll say that a couple of times. In chapter 4, he said, take heart. So he says things like this. He's trying to encourage, to to edify, to build up, to strengthen. And he wants, wants them to not get discouraged, to take heart, be of good courage. Even though we're away from our heavenly home, we're in this tent, this earthly home, this earthly body, we're of good courage. Why, Paul? Why are, we, why are we of good courage? Well, we have to be because look at this life. And we know the groaning and the burdens that we experience. And in verse 7, he says, so we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we're of good courage because we have to live by faith. We can't be uh, uh, dictated by, directed by, uh, governed by what we see because what you see will discourage you quickly. What you see will cause groaning and burden in your life. What we see will cause you to sometimes lose your faith. What we see can discourage us and distract us from remembering our heavenly home. And Paul says, remember where your home is. This life is temporary. In fact, that's how he finished chapter 4. This life is temporary. And Peter would say that it's but a vapor. Remember that our home is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. So what do Christians do while we're in this temporary home, this temporary place until God comes and gets us? Paul says in verse 9, we make it our aim to please Him. What do I do while I'm here? What does God want me to do? You want to figure out, well, what does God want me to do? How does He want me to live? Paul says, we make it our aim to please Him. You want a goal in life? You want, you want a goal for 2024? You want a purpose and a mission? You want meaning in your life? For the Christian, it is this. We make it our aim to please Him. That means in our conversations, in our interactions, in our dating relationship, in our homes, in every relationship that we have, every interaction, we're supposed to make it our aim to please Him. And, and real quickly, we see how easy it is to fall short. But that's why it's our aim. That's where we aim. That's where our target is aimed at, to please Him. Christians are motivated, as Brother Charles talked about this morning, we're motivated by what God has done for us. We're motivated by the love that Christ has for us. What God has done for us in Christ, that is our motivation. The love of Christ compels us. It constrains us. It moves us. It directs us. That's what we should be moved by. But Paul is also aware, as we see in verses 10 through 11, he's also aware that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due in him for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. 
You see, God's love for us and His salvation is our motivation, but we also need that reminder every now and then that there will be a judgment day. That helps us have some urgency about our life, some urgency about how we live, and help us to keep our focus that one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for how I live. So my, my, my life matters. My behavior matters. What I do at school and in my private life and in the workplace and in my relationships, it matters. What I think matters. What I look at matters. The way I talk matters because I'm going to stand before God one day and He's going to look at how I lived my life. Now, we don't in any way earn our salvation, but as Jesus taught in John 15, 8, He said, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit And so prove to be my disciples. So when I bear fruit by living a righteous life, then I am proving to be a disciple of Christ. I am showing that I'm thankful and grateful and I praise God for His salvation by letting the fruit of the Spirit and His righteousness be produced in me. And when I live like that, that brings glory to God. So I can be a Christian... But I can't say that I'm really being a faithful Christian if I'm not proving it by how I live my life. And yet I never think that I'm earning it by anything I think I do that's good because we don't deserve His salvation at all. In other words, we live that way because of His love for us. We want to produce fruit for Him because of His salvation. We can't help but do it. We must do it because we're so thankful for His salvation. Paul says in verse 11 that Christians understand what it is to face God outside of Christ. That's what he means when he said, uh, for knowing the fear of God. Because the Bible says that the wrath of God is coming for sin. That God's righteous judgment will be executed on sin. And so we know, we understand, and we are fearful and reverent and full of awe, the thought of standing before God. And we, we know the fear and the terror of standing before God if we're outside of Christ. Christians know that because we were convicted by the gospel message. And Paul says because we get that, because we grasp that, We make it our aim to persuade. We persuade others. Why? Because we don't want anyone to stand before God outside of Christ. To not have the forgiveness that is in Christ. Therefore, we persuade others so they can gain that forgiveness and salvation. Now look at verse 14 through 15. Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. I love the way Paul captures the essence of the Christian life right here in these two verses. You want to know what it looks like to... Uh, live as a Christian, to be an ambassador of Christ, His representative, what the Christian life should look like, it is this, to to just be so thankful for what God has done for me that I want to live my life for Christ. 
to, to, to no longer live for myself. And see, isn't that the default for humans? Isn't that our default? We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what makes us happy, what makes us comfortable, what makes us feel fulfilled. The things that just uh, we want to do, we want to do what we want to do. That's our default in a broken world full of sin. And that's the great challenge of a Christian, is to no longer live the life that you would want to do if you could just do whatever you wanted. Instead, we live our lives for the glory and service of Christ. That's what Paul meant in Romans 12 when he wrote about being a living sacrifice. We sacrifice things that we might want to do and have and be because we are living for the glory of Christ. And sometimes that means we're sacrificing things that we would otherwise want to do or have. So think about it. Shouldn't Because Jesus willingly died for us on the cross, shouldn't we willingly live to serve Him? Doesn't that just make sense? If we're His ambassador, if we're His uh, representative, we know what He did for us, and He went to the cross willingly. Now in His flesh, His flesh didn't want to. But He said, uh, but He prayed to God and He said, but your will be done. And because He did that for us, the, the only proper response is for us to say, then I willingly sacrifice my life to you to be a living sacrifice. Now look at verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. This is God's doing, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, he explains it, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are His ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you hear John 3, 16 and 17? Do you hear the gospel message and what Paul is writing here? Verse 21, for our sake... God made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news of the gospel right there. That's the gospel message, the good news of God. When a person becomes a Christian, when you come out of that water united with Christ in baptism, and as Paul writes in Romans 6, that new creation, and as he just said here, that new creation, and we raise to walk in newness of life, then God gives you a new identity in Christ. And, he, and with that identity comes a responsibility, a responsibility to represent Jesus to the world. We're supposed to be like him and become more and more like him every day. When you're given that new identity, you're also given a ministry. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. You don't have to be in what we call full-time ministry to be in ministry. Every Christian 
is in full-time ministry. And, and Paul called it the ministry of reconciliation. And to understand the word reconciliation, imagine a really close friendship. This friendship, they've been friends a long time. They've done everything together. They love each other, know everything about each other, can tell each other anything. Been together years. Close, close friends, as close as they can be. But imagine that somehow, in some way, that relationship becomes strained, becomes broken. It reaches to a point where it just it breaks apart. They go their separate ways, and in fact, there's animosity and hostility towards one another. There's no more friendship. In fact, they've become enemies. But then something happens in their lives together, and the two estranged friends begin to talk again. Pride and resentment are set aside. Apologies are given and accepted, and trust is rebuilt. Peace is restored, the friends hug, and the relationship is back to the way it used to be. Reconciliation has taken place. That's what it is. Their relationship is restored. Now imagine that between these two friends, only one person was at fault. And the other friend, who was totally innocent, is the one who initiated the process of them coming back together. And that's what Christian reconciliation is. That's what it is for a person to be reconciled with God. Because God is the innocent party here. God is the one who is perfect and holy and didn't do anything wrong to you. And yet our sin has broken that relationship with Him. And God is the one that initiates the reconciliation. He's the one that wants it. We didn't want it. We want to live in our sin. And yet our hearts get pricked by the gospel message. He initiated it by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins, to make a way to make it possible to be reconciled to Him. And when we, when we hear that message and our hearts are pricked and we obey the gospel then there's no more animosity. All all is forgiven. All is washed away in the watery grave of baptism. We've been buried with Christ and raised with Him to walk in newness of life. And now we stand justified. We stand in a right, restored relationship with God. That's the beautiful news of the gospel message. Reconciliation involves change though, doesn't it? I can't continue to live the way I've been living when I was outside of Christ. God expects me to change some things in this relationship. To be more like the son of his I'm supposed to follow. The one who saved us. See, God doesn't need to change. He changes us to be like him. That's what Paul explains in verse 19. Look with me at verse 19. That In Christ, God is reconciling His relationships with everyone who puts their faith in Him. And it's the cross that makes this reconciliation possible. It would not be possible if it were not for the blood of Christ. And we see in verses 18 and 19 that not only are we given a ministry, but we're given a message. When you become a Christian, you're given a ministry and you're given a message. Here's what you're supposed to go do. And here's what you're supposed to go talk about. Just like an ambassador who represents their country or their business, and they go represent uh, their business or country in another place, in another land. They have a 
mission. They have a ministry, a work to do, and they have a message, just like the shoe salesman. He was supposed to go there and his ministry was, his, his work was to increase sales of shoes. And yet he got there and acted like he didn't understand what it was he was supposed to do. Things didn't look right the way they looked back home. He didn't uh, realize the way he was supposed to operate in this new place. His message was, have I got a shoe for you? I've got something to fix that sore foot. But he wrote back home and said, there's no opportunity here. But representatives of Christ, ambassadors of Christ, don't go anywhere and say there's no opportunity here because we've been given a ministry and a message and that should go everywhere that we go. And the message is restore your relationship with God. Be a Christian today. Come to Christ and know salvation. Look at verse 20. Therefore, in other words, since we've been reconciled to God, we have this ministry and message. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're Christ's representatives. God makes His appeal through us. God has His Word, and that's our message. And He works through those who have already been reconciled so that we can reconcile others to God. If, it, if we don't have the church, we don't have further reconciliation. We don't have more lost souls coming to Christ because that's our work that we're supposed to be about. God works through Christians to make more Christians. Look at verse 21 as we close. Paul ends this in such a wonderful way by explaining what Jesus has done for us in other words. And he talks about the cross for God, that God took Jesus who had no sin and He made Him to be sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. In other words, God put Jesus on the cross and He takes the sin of that, all of the sin of the world and He placed it on Jesus on the cross. And He took off of Jesus His righteousness. And He walked over to those of us who obey the gospel, who put our faith in Him, and He puts Christ's righteousness on us. And now He looks at us and regards us and sees us and treats us as righteous because we're wearing the righteousness of Christ on us because He took our sin off of us. He traded places. He was our substitute. He filled in for us. If you've ever been a substitute teacher, you know what that's like. You're filling in for the permanent one. He filled in for the one that should have been there, deserved to be there, was supposed to be there. He fills in, filled in for us so we could be saved. And when we really understand what it means to be an ambassador of Christ then it changes our outlook on life. How we see life, how we see relationships and interactions, how we see uh, situations and opportunities that God brings our way. We represent Jesus to the person who's not a Christian, who's not a believer. They might not even know Christ. They might be an, a, a skeptic. We represent Christ to them in bringing the message of the gospel. But sometimes we say, we worry that we don't know enough. I don't know what to do. I'm not confident. I don't know what to say. I'm not good at that kind of thing. Or we worry, we say, I'm, I'm too shy. I'm, I'm introverted. That's just not my thing. 
Or someone might say, well, I'm just really busy. When things slow down, I can, I can do that. Some might say they're too old or too young. But if you notice, nowhere in Scripture did Jesus address those excuses, did he? There's nowhere in Scripture where he says, oh, yes, yeah, so if you're kind of older, forget about it. If you're a little too young, but you're a Christian, but you're in high school, you don't have to worry about that. Oh, you're busy, I understand. Just, just we'll let the other people do it. Oh, you're shy. Oh, I'm so, poor you. You're introverted. Oh, I, my heart goes out to you. You don't have to tell anybody about me. You just show up and be at church and smile. Jesus never, ever said those things. He said, here's your ministry and here's your message. You go and do this. And don't we need those reminders sometimes? Because we can think of a lot of excuses in our minds, can't we? They, we they're just default. We didn't have to think about them. It's just, they're normal for us. But we need the Scripture to remind us, here's who you are and here's what your life is supposed to be about. We make it our aim to please Him, to represent Him. We represent Christ to other Christians in encouraging them, building them up. And that's why your presence, your attendance, and not just your attendance, but your full engagement in the life and work of the church is so important because you are helping represent Christ to other Christians. And your presence and your service, your engagement is helping them grow stronger. And guess what? It's helping you grow stronger too. That's why God gave us His church. It's that important. We represent Jesus to others to make and grow disciples. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, but we're at the end of the year, aren't we? We're at the end of another year, and we're hoping to be blessed with Another year ahead of us. Another year to, to try to get some things right, to do some things better. But I want to leave you with this. Let's think about how can we serve God better and love Him more. How can we serve God better and love Him more? What will you want your want to be? What, if I can read my own writing. What will you want to have been true about your life? You know, we might not all see the end of 2024. Life comes and goes. When we look back at our life, what will we want to have been true about our life? Will we want to have been true, among other good things, most importantly, I lived as an ambassador for Christ. I gave my life to Him. I made it my aim to please Him. And those folks who do that, they still teach us to this day after they're gone. And we're thankful for them. And they encourage us even beyond this life. How can we help you this morning? If you need to obey the gospel, put on Christ in baptism, we're ready to serve you and start your walk with Jesus. Maybe you need to study and ask for prayers. Maybe you, you haven't been very focused on your walk with Jesus. You had not been paying attention to being a representative of His. And you want encouragement and prayer to do so. We're here to help you. We invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com.
If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.